welcome to Susquehanna Valley Church. My name is Matt, and uh, we're just we're blessed to have you with us. If you're joining us at home or if you're here in person, uh, j- just want to say uh, I'm excited for what God has for us today, and uh, it's something that to me I think it, it's it's been a passion of my heart for a long time. So we're going to kind of walk into uh, what it is. Uh, I want to start out just kind of coming from the the approach of. Um, an an illustration from when I was a kid. I I played baseball growing up. I loved baseball. That was my favorite sport. Even yesterday, I loved being able to watch baseball again, finally. Um, And uh, I was thinking back to when I was in my teens. And baseball went from kind of fun to somewhat serious. It got a little bit more competitive. And you you were playing not just to play. You were playing to win and develop skill. Um, And so one year in particular, I played, and our team was just horrible. And when I, when I say horrible, I mean, we were, we were bad. And it was kind of odd because I happened to be the pitcher on the bad team. And so, you know, I'd be throwing pitches, and I'm like, that's a decent pitch. And they hit a ground ball, and it goes to the shortstop, and he throws it way over to, like, 10 feet past the first base. And I'm like, this is not going to work. So next year, I go to play for a different team. I go to play for a team that had a bunch of really good players, um, and they had two really good pitchers. They had two guys who were throwing – Uh, no hitters or one hitters or complete shutouts on a regular basis and so I found myself from pitching every other game to pitching one game the whole season and I remember being on that team and we won game after game after game I mean we were just blowing teams out and I had the best view in the house from the bench and I remember at the beginning of that season it was exciting I was on a team that was winning this is different this is new but as the season progressed it became something where I was like, this is pointless. I mean, they're winning, but I'm not even on the field. I'm not even part of this team. There's no involvement. I had no role even to support my team. I was just a guy in the way when warm-ups were happening. And I remember very vividly the last game of the year didn't mean anything, and I finally got to, to pitch, and, and it was my turn. And the, the coach, I overheard our coach saying to the other team, he said, you'll have your best chance to beat us today. It's like, Wow. So that's my role on this team. I'm the best chance for us to get beaten. And I remember that, and I remember thinking, like, would they even even really have missed me if I wasn't on the team? Um, And and just no purpose, no excitement, no real role. And as I I thought about that and, and thinking about what we're talking about today, the idea of purpose is so central to our our existence. The idea of I matter and I have a role and I'm valuable is so key for us to feel like 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 we are like like we just have a reason to be alive. And I thought about that and and that feeling of do we matter and and what our role is. And, And typically what we do is we determine whether or not we matter based on what we do in life and how well we do it. Typically, we find our purpose in what we do and how well we do it. If we're on the field and how well we're performing on the field, if it's your career and how good you do at your career or how good you did at your career, if it's kids and raising kids and how well that goes for you or uh, if it's just living up to standards that you, you have to, you, you measure yourself and how much purpose you have based on whether or not you live up to the standards of somebody else or to yourself because we define our purpose based on how, what we do and how well we do it. You, you know how big this is for you? Think, think about it. If, um, if you ever had a moment in your life where what you do was threatened, like maybe, maybe something came along and, 
um, and, and you couldn't do the job. You couldn't get the job that you wanted, or a career change was inevitable. It was threatened. You couldn't have kids like you thought you could. It was threatened. How much, how much did that shake you? How much did you go through a reorienting process of, of trying to find yourself and trying to search to see what was going on? The, I, I think this is just huge for us to measure our importance based on how we do or based on what we do and how well we do it. Uh, think about this. This has been ingrained in you ever since you were a little kid because you've been asked the same question from the age that you could give a response all the way up till you graduated high school uh, and even actually graduated college, you've been asked the same question again and again and again. What are you going to do when you grow up? What are you going to do when you grow up? And so we measure ourselves based on how well we've answered that question of what are you going to do when you grow up? What's the difference you're going to make? How are you going to change the world? And we live by this mantra that what I do makes me matter. What I do makes me matter. And if what I do is ever threatened, if I can't be a, a parent, if I can't be an employee, if I can't achieve this standard, then all of a sudden I feel like I don't matter. What I want us to do in this whole series is just kind of step back and look at the bigger picture and, and look at it from, from what I think is a biblical foundation that is so much more freeing, so much more producing of joy within our lives. I, th I think a lot of people are unhappy because they're measuring themselves on the standard of what do I do, what I do makes me matter. And I think there are other people that maybe disagree with you and, and you wrestle with that and, and that hurts you and, and, and the scriptures are going to come along and say that, that's actually not how God wired you. That's not how God made humanity to operate. I think this is huge. I think we get it right. I think it's just a huge difference in life for you because what you do is not nearly as important as, as who you do it for. What you do is not nearly as important as who you do it for. And I think we've grown up with this mentality of, what am I going to do? What job am I going to have? Well, how many kids am I going to have? And, and, and what standards, what am I going to accomplish? And what do I do has become the most important thing to us as, as, as citizens of this country. And the scriptures come along and they say, no, no, no. What you do is not nearly as important as who you do it for. That's the, more that's the far, far more important question. The who behind the motivation of what you do in life. And if you can't get that right, you will, you will live in this kind of uncertain, unsettled place where you've got other people's opinions about you. You've got your own worries. You've got your bosses. You've got your parents. You've got all these other things that are competing for how you matter. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. It's not what you do. It's who you do it for. Think of the person, think of the person who's handicapped, who could never, ever, ever achieve what they might want to be able to achieve in their mind. Think of the person who's maybe the victim of a circumstance that's limited them from being able to do the things in life that they'd like to do. Are we really willing to say that those people will never be able to have purpose in life? That they'll never be able to live out their American dream and so they can't be happy? Or maybe, maybe it's us on the other side who've gotten it wrong. And we think that real freedom comes from being able to do what I want to do. And in reality, real freedom comes from who do I do it for? I, th I think that's what we're looking at here. I think we've got to step back and ask the first question of, of 
who do I do what I do for? Who do I do it for? Like maybe I'm just stuck in a dead-end job, and it's not what I want. But you could find purpose in the who do I do it for, even if it's not what you want. Um, in this series, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. I've intentionally not used that phrase till this point in the series uh, sermon because the reality is the second that I say spiritual gifts, you're either in one of two places. You've never, ever, ever heard that phrase before. You're brand new to this all, and you're thinking, I don't know what that means. It sounds a little unorthodox, sounds a little uneasy for me. Or, or you're in the opinion where you've heard about it many, many times, and you're like, I already know what that's about. And we have a way of thinking about it that I just want us to come about from a totally different perspective and say, what does God's word actually say about spiritual gifts? Spiritual gifts are, are God-given abilities that you're designed to use to help the church grow and reach the world. I think therein will lie the key to your greatest purpose in life. I really, really do. But if you do not get the who do I do it for first, if I don't get the motivation of I do whatever God has called me to do for Jesus Christ, if that's not, if that's not first, th then it'll all go wrong. So here's the, here's the thing. This is what this morning is about. Um, it, it, you've done puzzles before, I'm assuming. Um, if not, here's a puzzle. You can take it home and work on it. Uh, but puzzles, and this is a really easy one, so you should get it done in like two hours, okay? Um, puzzles, uh, puzzles like, the, I don't like puzzles. They take too much concentration. They take too much time, and you get done, and you're like, I made a picture that I could have just looked at on the computer. I could have just went and Googled this image and found it and not even had to put it together. But some of you like puzzles, and so I think puzzles, puzzles really help me to be able to explain and understand the idea of spiritual gifts. Because I think at the end of the day, what we're talking about is, where do I fit? And when you find where you fit, man, it's just really sweet. When you know who you do, what you do for, and you know what it is that they've called you to do, and you're doing it for him, and you're doing, doing it in the way that he wants, where you want, that you find your fit in life. And so I think each one of us is this puzzle piece in God's kingdom, and we need to find our fit. We need to find what God has called us to do, why he's called us to do it, and we're going to do it to love him. Uh, so we need to find our fit. Here's the problem. If you think the more important question in life is, what do I do? If you think what do I do is more important than who do I do it for, you are like, you are like a puzzle piece in the wrong puzzle. You're trying to find your fit in a puzzle that isn't even the one that you belong in. If you ever want to have fun, take a kid and just throw a puzzle piece in the puzzle that doesn't belong there. And just watch what, I'm a really mean dad, but it's fun to watch them try to figure it out. And, and, and this is like payback for all the times they ask, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? You just, you put a puzzle piece in there that's the wrong piece in the wrong puzzle, and you just in your mind think, you're there, son. You're there. Yeah. Why? Because they're going to struggle to try to find a fit that's not there. If your fit in life is based on what you do as opposed to who you do it for, you are a puzzle piece in the wrong puzzle. Spiritual gifts. God has given you this ability, and the most important thing is that you do it for Him. Not for yourself, not for somebody else, not for me, not for your spouse, not for your kids. You do it for Jesus Christ. And so we're going to come at this from a biblical perspective of how we go through a process to understand 
who God has made me to be and where, where I fit. The American process about spiritual gifts is let me take a test and it will rank me one to ten on where I need to serve in the church and what I need to do and when I need to do it because we like the product more, like, more than we like the process. I want us to look at the process. I think God got the process right, so let's, let's look at it from that, that perspective. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start there. Ephesians chapter 4, um, so you've got the book of Ephesians where God is uh, focusing on this, what, what's kind of viewed as a wonderful mystery. That the church is this amazing thing that God has out of the peoples of the world pulled people together to do something similar despite their differences. So you've got ethnic differences, you've got historical differences, you've got just different personality differences, you've got skill differences. You don't have the same skills that I do. Right? Somebody this morning was talking about a deck. If you need to build a deck, don't call me. It's not going to go well. Those aren't my skills. Um, and so the body of Christ, we've got all these differences. And Paul, in the book of Ephesians, as he writes this letter, he's saying, guess what? We're all a little bit different. But it's absolutely incredible that we all serve the same God. And we all have the same goal. And so what Ephesians 4 is, is it says that life is not about what you do as much as it's about who you do it for. And so the who in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7 is central. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and he gave gifts to his people. Let's pray. Um, God, I ask that you teach us this morning. I pray that you help this to resonate within us. I know some of us, if we're watching at home or even if we're here, have this desire to find our fit in life. And Father, I firmly believe that our fit is preempted by understanding who you are and how we can love you and serve you. And that's foundational. We ask that you help us to see that. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 4, here's what's happening. You've got the Apostle Paul writing this message to the church in Ephesus, trying to say, hey, let's get together, let's work together in a unified fashion to be able to bring glory to the who behind the what we do. And he makes this statement uh, about how Jesus Christ um, ascended and he, he gave gifts. And what he does is, is quite fascinating. He picks up um, an Old Testament psalm, Psalm chapter, chapter 68, which is all about this, this psalm of a king returning from battle victorious. He's, he's victorious over nations. He's victorious over other kings. And so the king returns home to his people, and he's just showered with praise. He, he's just, everybody is thrilled that they're not enslaved. They're free because their king has won. Paul picks up Ephesians in Ephesians 4, and he refers back to Psalm 68, and he says, Jesus is the returning king. Jesus is the victorious one. When he died and then resurrected, his victory over death and over sin has given us a victory. And so he comes back and he receives the spoils of war. And he receives the, the, the praise. Now, what, what many scholars have kind of struggled with is when Paul picks up Psalm 68, he quotes it almost verbatim except for one little word he switches. And he uses actually the exact opposite of the word in Psalm 68. And I think what Paul is doing is he's saying... You thought this passage was about a king receiving gifts. Guess what? Jesus is the king, 
And he doesn't receive gifts as much as he gives them. He does a little twist. He says, you read this, you read Psalm 68, you, you know it, you know the king receives gifts. Guess what? Jesus is so incredible. He's the greatest king ever because not only is he victorious, not only does his victory bring life and bring life after death to millions and millions of followers of his. Additionally, when he returns home, he doesn't say, give me all the gifts. He says, here you go. And he shares it with each one of us. And each one of us has been gifted with something incredible. And and I need you to to see this because what he's doing is he's he's identifying Jesus as a victorious warrior. And then he's identifying us as the recipients of gifts. He gifts us with involvement. Now you might look at that statement and think, no big deal. He gifts us with involvement. No, that's a huge deal. Because Jesus is not like the father who's working on a project at home and he, he's just focused on the project and, and the little boy runs along and says, Daddy, can I help? And uh, No, son, you're just going to get in the way. No, this, this, Daddy's just got to do this. Jesus, what he does is he says, here you go, son. You get a hammer. Let me show you. Let me guide you. Let me walk with you in this incredibly important task of building a church, building my kingdom in a world where people are going to die and be separated without me. And if it's not for the church, if it's not for the message of the church, they don't have hope. And so by all means, son, pick up a hammer. By all means, daughter, pick up a hammer. He gifts us with involvement. He doesn't say, hey, guess what? I'm the best athlete on the field. I'm the best pitcher that's ever pitched. I got a great seat for you right over there. And as much as you long for in this world a fit, nobody will ever more lovingly gift you with involvement and value and purpose than Jesus Christ, the glorious king who says, pick up a hammer. Or here you go. Here's here's the responsibility. Here's a gift. You're going to love kids for me in an incredible way. You're going to have hospitality that's going to be a blessing that's going to draw other people to me, that's going to build the church in a way that's just profound. He gifts us with involvement. He's not just playing while we all watch. And, and I, cannot, I cannot stress to you enough how big of a deal it is for you to have a role and ha- have a place where you matter, have a puzzle where you fit. You deeply want that in life, and you'll never find it anywhere nearly as well as you'll find it in Jesus Christ. Paul continues in in verse 11. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, so so the messengers that established the foundation of the church, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What's the point? Is the point me and what I do? Or is the point who I do it for? Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We're given gifts. We're given gifts and and we start serving him to be a gift in return. We're given gifts and then out of love, we're going, I want to love you. And so what that means is every little thing that you do for Jesus 
Every time that you're kind to somebody, every time that you help a neighbor out in need, every time you pick up a phone and just check up on someone or, or pray for somebody, every little thing that you do is a gift wrapped for Jesus Christ. Here it is. This is for you. I do this for you. I mentioned, I mentioned by the way, that I think this is really central to your existence. I, I don't use that phrase lightly. I think this really is. Um, I think your fit in the church and, and you understanding that who you do it for is firstly most important, I think it's huge. So huge that whenever somebody walks away from the church, there's two questions that I wonder and I try to search out for as an answer to, to them. If I can find a way to, to just kind of casually, lovingly uh, seek them out, there's two questions that I think center on this, this exact issue that really tell the story of whether or not somebody is happy or dissatisfied with their church experience. I, I think the, the, these are the two questions. Number one is, are you over-involved or were you over-involved? Were you the person who just did everything all the time? Were you the person that had to do, if there was, if, if I gave an opportunity to serve, you had to do it. Or if there was, there was a Wednesday night and a Thursday night, you were there, you were there all the time. You know what the red flag is here for the person who, who left, and a lot of times they left because they were burnt out, because they were over-involved? The red flag question is this, was it hard for you to say no? When somebody asked you to do something, was it hard for you to say no? That question that question is like an x-ray to your soul. Was it hard for you to say no? Because if it was hard for you to say no, then you ask the question, why? Why was it hard for me to say no? And you begin to walk down a path where you say, maybe, maybe because much of what I did was not done for Jesus Christ, but was actually done for the other person. It was actually done for me because I was afraid of what people would think about me if I said no. Why do you do what you do? I think the person who says, I do what I do for Jesus Christ actually has a very easy time saying no. I think they have a very, very easy time saying no. Because there are a lot of people who have expectations of us, but ultimately there's only one expectation that really matters at the end of the day. And that's what Jesus Christ did. And so the person who lives with that mentality has a very easy time saying no to anybody other than Jesus Christ. And they're not overextended. Because they know that Jesus wants them to value their time with their family. They know Jesus wants them to value rest. He wants them to value all sorts of things in life. And so they can say no to somebody else and say yes to Jesus at the same time. I, I, th this, is, this is a big one for me as a pastor. Because every pastor has the temptation to make every congregant a boss. Every pastor has that. And so, and so I could have 250, 300 bosses. And I've learned that if I'm going to do this for anything more than like two years, then I have to have an easy time saying, no, you're not my boss. Jesus is my boss. And I'm okay with that. And if I need to follow after him and say yes to him, and it means saying no to this opportunity or no to that opportunity, so I can say yes to him, then okay, I'm all right with that. Because at the end of the day, what I do is not nearly as important as who I do it for. And when I get who I do it for right, I'm free. I'm free. I don't have a thousand bosses. I don't, I don't have a bunch of people who get to tell me what to, I got one. A and his name is, is Jesus. And so are you over-involved? It, is it hard for you to say no? If it's hard for you to say no, really, I would, I would encourage you to spend some time praying and saying, God, why is that? 
The other question, the other question, is, so first is, are you over-involved? Second one is this, have you ever actually gotten involved? Have you ever actually gotten involved? Like, have you used your gifts, your God-given ability? Have you found your fit in, in any church where God has made you unique in a way that's going to help advance his kingdom? It will come more natural to you than, than it will for anybody else. It'll be easier and more effective for you. When you find that fit, have you ever actually gotten involved? Because part of his incredible gift to you is for you to find your fit. For you to say, this isn't about just a pastor and and a pastor preaching a message and some guys playing a song. This is about me finding my place in the kingdom of God. Because Jesus has not only redeemed us from sin and death, but he has redeemed us from pointlessness in life. He's redeemed us from pointlessness in life. And it all starts with the question, who is the who behind what you do? Don't believe me. Really simple verse. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, whatever, whatever you do. So if you're entirely limited, let's just say like you, you are in a prison cell. Whatever you do, if you are sitting there, all day long, and you only have an opportunity to influence one or two people. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Pointlessness is out, and purpose is in, if you answer that question. Who do I do? What do I, what I do for? Because at that moment, anything that isn't sin is filled with purpose, because you do it in the name of Jesus Christ. Anything that isn't, can't be sin. Like, you're not going to go robbing banks for Jesus. That's not a thing. Right? You're, you're not going to go scamming old ladies for Jesus. Not a thing. We're not going to, you, you can't do sin for Jesus. It doesn't, doesn't work that way. If you were doing that, see me afterwards. You've got to confess and repent, and we're going to put you on a new path. But you can be a stay-at-home mom for Jesus. You can be, I, I, one of the most incredibly, incredibly godly women I know um, was a woman who, who could not have her own kids, so just decided to love every other kid like, like they were hers. Just love them in a spiritual influence like that. Incredible, incredible woman. You can be a contractor for Jesus. You can be an accountant for Jesus. You can mow lawns for Jesus. Whatever you do, whatever you do. Notice, notice the low amount of priority that Paul places in Colossians 3 on the what you do. Whatever you do. It could be anything, whatever you do. And so if you got a, a young teen who would seek Paul out and he'd say, Paul, um, t- tell me, like, I'm really struggling with what do I want to do in life. I just need to find this career that, that really just is what I long for and it really makes me feel like I matter and I, I see I make a difference in the world. Uh, I, help me figure out my career. Paul would say, well, well do you want to do an action or do you want to say some words? The young man could say, well, I, I guess I'd like to do an action. Paul would say, great, do it for Jesus, and you'll be happy. The young man could say, well, what if I said I wanted to say words for a career? Then Paul would say, words, perfect, same for Jesus, and you could be happy in life. Because the what you do is not nearly as important as the who you do it for. I, 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 need, you, I need you to get, get this. The who supersedes the what. And if you join him in his cause, what, what you'll find out is, is that your worth 
Your worth is attached to the warrior king that died for you. And so you stop letting society attach your worth to your career or to what you've accomplished or to what other people think about you. You, you take your worth and you say, what I feel about myself is not defined by anything else in this world other than my God who died for me, who rose for me, who gifted me with involvement. I mean, we, we live in a society with a more diversified job field that has, than has ever existed. Where if you go to careerplanner.com, they list 12,000 possibilities for a career. If you want to find your purpose and your existence in your career, start searching. You got 12,000 to work through to find it. When Paul wrote this, I bet if they had a career planner, they would have had like eight. Like you could be a banker, you could be a soldier, you could be a farmer, a fisherman. That's about it. Doctor, but you wouldn't really know what you're doing because they didn't have a lot of medical advancements. But you would have very few choices. And somebody's not going to sit around and say, oh, man, which of these eight things could I do? Uh, Look, whatever you do. The what is not nearly as important as the who. In Ephesians 4, this passage hints at something incredible. It's awesome. Where royalty of that day, when they would give gifts, they would do it specifically, not, not to just common people in their kingdom. They would gift to their friends. What it does is it brings this element where Jesus in, in John 15 is speaking with his disciples And he says something incredible. This is God, creator of the universe, speaking to his creations. And Jesus Jesus goes, if you do what I say, I call you friend. Friend. Like, I like to be around you. I enjoy you. I want to interact with you. I don't want to do this while you sit over here. I want you to walk with me. I want to spend time with you. Paul in Ephesians 4, he goes, the king came back and he was triumphant and he was, he was victorious and he gives you the gifts that he would give a friend because he wants you to be deeply involved in what he's doing. The whole passage is just filled with this idea of grace showing up in, in generosity. There is few things in life, there are few things in life that are more beautiful than when a generous person has much to be generous with. And Jesus has much to be generous with, and he is incredibly generous. And so he wants us to enjoy his generosity. And I I don't know uh, for you, if your involvement in the church sounds like what I'm talking about, spend some time and really go back to that question. Am I over-involved or am I actually involved? Am I over-involved or am I actually involved? Because there's a sweet spot. We say, Jesus, I'm going to do this for you. And when you find your fit in, in this puzzle, you know what happens? All of life begins to fit rightly around you. Y- you fit in your family better. Y- you fit in your career better. You fit in your hobbies better. You fit in your rest better. Why? Because you understand who you do it for. And so we end up where we started, where what you do is not nearly as important as who you do it for. Anything else, anything else, and you are a puzzle piece in a strange puzzle. And you can find your fit. You can try and find your fit. 
time and time again, and, and it'll never be quite what you want it to be. Because you were made to fit in the puzzle that is God's kingdom. And that's, that's what your heart longs for. That, that's where it is. It, I, the staff and I joke about how um, I, I like to go fishing. And fishing, my, my illustrations are typically food or fishing. Um, th- those are the two things. And so this one's not about fishing, it's about boating. Okay, Entirely different, it's not even close. Um, but let's just say I wanted to buy a boat, like a big old fishing boat. Um, and uh, I guess they're maybe a little bit connected. But I wanted to buy a big old fishing boat, like for, for the bay, uh, actually out in the ocean. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to catch some, some big, this really became about fishing in the end. Um, but I'm going to catch like some big old tuna or marlin. So I go out and I buy this boat. I get the boat and, and I bring it and I put it in the little stream at the bottom of the hill over here behind the church. Now you look at that and you'd be like, that's cute. What are you doing? Like, are you crazy? That doesn't belong there. It's out of place. You'll never be able to let that do what it's meant to do where it is. I mean, there's not even enough water for it to sit in, let alone to, to, to do what it was designed to do. When you get this puzzle idea wrong, you are in the wrong place. And life will never be as full as Jesus intends it to be. Because you're so focused on the what do I do that makes me matter. That you forget it's not what you do. It's who you do it for. So let's end up in the right puzzle. And let's start there. And we'll keep walking towards this. I think, I think if you take this seriously, I think if you spend time in God's word through this series, I think you're going to find your fit. And I think it's going to be great. Let's pray. God, you are incredible. There is no obligation upon you to do anything for us. But your son, Jesus, became a man and lived a life on earth dealing with ridicule and persecution and punishment and abuse and death. And he did that and died. And then he, in the most incredible thing, he rose again. And he's victorious. He's defeated death itself. And he's the, he's the warrior king. And instead of saying, I've won, now give me everything you've got. He says, I've won, now I give you everything I have. I pray, Lord, that that's who we live for. And I pray that it's freeing for us. I pray it's fulfilling for us. And I pray we find our fit in you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.